cool tea. Perhaps these chemists could not be said to be evil. How bad can we make it? Is an enticing notion for anyone, especially in the confines of a laboratory divorced from the consequences of your creations. There, death is just a number, abstract and weightless. They showed her what they made and told her what it did. Make more, was the reply. Soon, they had what she deemed to be enough. All that was left was to pick a date. Betsy Overby, ever festive, elected to make it a Halloween surprise. For a while before death arrived, there was only the sound. It drew the people of the outliers out of hiding holes and fortifications as surely as it drew memories out of the deep recesses of the mind. For this was a sound that they knew, even if at first they were unsure how exactly they knew it. As the sound approached, getting louder all the time, the people of the outliers looked around at one another, the old instincts needing a moment to re-engage. Then, like an engine kicking to life, the old habit snapped back. They looked up. Planes are a part of most of our daily lives, such that they go largely unremarked upon. Unless a plane is flying particularly low or is particularly loud, we hardly ever even notice when one crosses our horizon. While once there may have been glamour and class associated with air travel, today it is known only as a hassle, a nuisance. The Wright brothers cracked that shit in 1903, so it takes considerably less time than a century for a miracle to become commonplace and then a chore. But there are times there are times when for no particular reason, except for the quality and character of a given moment's light or the humor you happen to be in, when one might see a plane flying overhead and be struck by the impossibility of it. Is there any single symbol better to embody humanity's will and drive towards overcoming the bindings of nature than an airplane? We are creatures of the earth using materials of the earth to transcend those limitations of our being. For the people of the black sun, time had passed enough that a plane could be a miracle once more. The precautions of civil war forgotten, they flocked to the streets, to the rooftops. Some fell to their knees and wept to be reminded of the long gone home. Others raised their arms in exultation 
as if believing that this plane trailed vapors that would cleanse away all those sins done in the name of survival. The light reflected off the plane's hull would burn away all that was suffering, all that was unclean. They could be new again, whole again. Still others stood mute and awed, the whir of the plane drowning out any thoughts of their own they might have been having. The sound filled them now, repatterning brainwaves and adjusting the frequency of the soul. In the sewers beneath the city, there was a commotion to climb topside and see the miracle before it flew on. There was a desperate animal hunger to this rush, not so much for the chance at sight than for need for the sound. The sight could be relayed secondhand easy enough, but the sound was something else. It would heal you, fill you. It would exist within you, your body a living container for its essence, sustaining you for all the miseries the city would surely soon offer. But you had to hear it clean, hear it true. Beneath the city, in the sewers, Priya Patel took the hand of her love, the woman Cassandra. This is it, isn't it? Priya said. Cassandra could only nod. Topside, the crowds cheered as the plane drew closer, the vague dot becoming a tangible outline, becoming a solid thing. Through binoculars, they could even make out the torch marks holding the jittering metal together. They'd done it, the people cheered. It was done. Humans had been taking on the chin all the time they'd been trapped into the black sun, but now they once more proved their dominance, their destiny to overcome all obstacles. This was the promise written in the sky. It was the people with binoculars who first noticed the small black flecks falling from the plane. Was the plane falling apart? There could be nothing worse than that, was the thought of many. Then one of those fallen pieces struck the ground. A chattering crowd ran up to see just what it was. At the lead of this crowd was Everett McHugh. He entertained children. He was good at it, and he liked doing it. That should deserve better. That should entitle him to some fate better, some fame grander than being the first to die that day. But that is how these things go. Because he was in the lead, Everett McHugh was there to see the black fluid in the leaking container spark, a rainbow of color exploding out from the pitch black confines. He had time to think, oh no. And then the wall of flames passed over him and erased everything. The flames ate all. They ate the people on the streets and the people on the rooftops, 
wiping away lives like a hand sweeping pieces off a board. They ate the haunted houses and the hiding places, ate the rooms where people lived and yet lingered, ate the places where fleeting happiness had been savored, where miseries had been dwelt upon. Fire licked the kaiju's bones, as touch they rose and fell as black snow, this ash no more or less remarkable than all the rest rising than falling. People ran, of course they did, but where was there to run? Overhead, the plane kept dispatching its terrible cargo, sparking fresh waves that come crashing down avenues and alleyways. People made for the sewers, but there is no safety there either, not this time, as bodies pressed against one another in desperate bids for safety, for freedom. The concrete walls of the sewer began to grow warm, then warmer, and you could not keep a hand on the wall or a foot on the ground because it was hot, so hot, and there might have been something comic in how people hopped and danced awkwardly as they stood only soon the flames were upon them, and they cried out in one scream, a scream that echoed off those same concrete walls to reverberate back down the issuing throats so that these victims were filled with their own terror as the fire took them. Bajoya and her husband Sanjit clutched each other one last time as the flame swelled. They deserved better, both of them. The flames didn't care. The dog at their feet, brave Lala, deserved better too. She passed out from the smoke and did not feel it as the flames enveloped her. Dr. Andrews did not pass out. She fought until the last, even that she never believed herself to be much of a fighter, even though she was convinced she was not much good and was not meant for anything much at all. She fought until the last, but the flames did not pause to offer respect to a soul so valiant. The flames ate her and kept on. Kept on after Priya Patel and Cassandra, who fled even though there was no point and no hope. They ran anyway, hand in hand and one step ahead of oblivion. Ran until they entered a chamber where the runoff water was deeper than the rest of the sewer. As soon as Priya Patel felt the water splash past her knees, she knew what to do. She tackled Cassandra and held her beneath the water's surface. Even as the other woman thrashed, even as the fire roared into the chamber and the water began to bubble, even as scalding whips peeled the flesh from her back until she could feel her bones crack like dry kindling, even as her breath caught and her grip threatened to weaken, she held on. Only when Priya Patel had the distant awareness that the flames had died down. Only then did she release her grip, sinking beneath the water herself. Cassandra came up gasping, reaching for her, calling for her. It all seemed very distant, even the pain. She had blazed down the city streets in first a cab, then an ambulance, in love with the sensation of speed with the lines tumbling beneath her wheels. 
that speed had her again, carrying her off from her new love, from Cassandra. She wanted to wrestle her way away, but before her eyes the city gave way to starscapes. She had missed the stars the entire time they were trapped in this world. White grew over her eyes. Her failing vision or steam left in the fire's wake. She did not know and it did not matter. She felt Cassandra's hands around her, heard the other woman's tears. In that last moment, Priya Patel saw it all clearly, saw the pieces that would be played to win the day saw the empty throne soon to be filled, saw the golden dawn that would rise, yes, the promise that could be fulfilled if her beloved just held on, please, just kept fighting for it to be real. She wanted to say all this, explain it all just as clearly as it now stood in her mind, wanted to tell Cassandra just how much she loved her, wanted to tell her that not everything is intended, but some things are indeed meant. Only the white grew all over, and her mouth stilled, and Priya Patel lay dead in the arms of her beloved, the mists enclosing on them like so many ghosts. On the veranda of the man McRae's apartment, he sat in a lawn chair beside Betsy Overby, the pair of them sipping lemonade. Even with his recent hesitations regarding the Civil War, the man McRae had to admit he was impressed. Quite the show, he said. Lovely fireworks, Betsy Overby laughed. A turn of the breeze brought with it the scent of smoke and the taste of ash. Betsy Overby drank it in like fine perfume. We've done it, sir, she said. We've won. All throughout the Mammoth Ray's keep, his people watched the ring of fire expand and climb. Being in the center of that inferno did not feel like victory. Somewhere in the sky, Kyle aimed his plane at the ground and released the controls. He had seen all he wanted to see. His masterpiece was complete. The plane disappeared from view. But even the brightest flames must abate. And there are always ways to survive. 
There weren't many, to be clear. But slowly and carefully, faces began to emerge from the cinders. Cassandra found them all, and they her. Beneath her sickle blade, their rage took focus. Their purpose stood clear. And somewhere just outside the city, a man and a boy who resembled a monster appeared. Mustafa and Terry, newly returned, just in time to see the city burn. Black Sun Dispatches is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Support for Cinepunks programming comes from Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, which you should visit uh, for all your clothing needs. Support for Black Sun Dispatches and other Cinepunk shows also comes from you, our Patreons, uh, which you can find on the Cinepunks website to support all the great programming and writing that Cinepunk provides. Uh, most recently, we've done 31 straight days of great new content to celebrate Halloween. Uh, so please go to that website and you will find uh, something of interest to you. We cover pretty much every kind of movie, music, and media possible. Um, for more information on Black Sun Dispatches, please go to our Twitter page, at Black Sun Show. Or you can follow me, Brandon Foley, on Twitter, at the true Brendan F. Please rate and review Black Sun Dispatches if you like it and help spread the word about this show. The Black Sun Dispatches logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, and the music of this episode is Winter by E.L. Heath. Black Sun Dispatches will return in November, I believe. Let's see what day should that be on. Uh, you can probably expect the next episode on November 25th. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you will enjoy the ones to come. Uh, big doings in the city of the Black Sun, uh, and it's only going to get crazier from here. So, uh, Happy Halloween, everybody, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.